G'day, welcome to the New Spirit Podcast. I am your host, Shrek, and today's episode, we're going deep into the South Island to interview a South African, which is pretty typical on this show. We interview spearfishing experts and authorities from around the world, and quite often they're living in a different country. We seem to be a fairly well-traveled bunch, and uh, I was recently over traveling into New Zealand to visit my parents, actually. So I was down in Omaru, and I came across Philip Van Sale. I've been friends with him on Facebook for quite a while, and he's uh, he's a really nice guy. He's uh, really strong on reciprocity. So, like, he's the sort of guy that goes out of his way to help spearos traveling around. He calls it the spear the spearfishing mafia. Basically, you know, um, you, you give a weight belt to a guy when he comes to visit you, and you know the favors returned when you visit his side of the world or her side of the world. And uh, the spearfishing world is definitely. Uh, like that, you know, the spearfishing mafia is huge. And um, so today, uh, yeah, we've got Philip, from, he's originally from Cape Town, he's been living in New Zealand since 1997, he's been a librarian for most of his life, um, he's owned a highly successful restaurant, he's a very interesting guy and a competition sparrow in his own right, and uh, we have a good old yarn today, so uh, I'm looking forward to getting into that, but before we get there, I've got Way too many shout-outs because it's been too long since I did the last lot. The 2020 USA Freshwater Nationals begin on August the 3rd and go right through to the 7th. There's a whole lot of different events, and uh, I'm hoping to possibly even get over there myself. I've received an, uh, an invite, and I would love to take Mike up on it. It's just a matter of getting um, everything lined up and right. But if you are curious, I would encourage you to have a look at freshwaterworlds.com. But it's at Beaver, Beaver Lake in Arkansas, and um, the water's sort of between 75 to 80 degrees. The visibility is normally somewhere between 5 to 15 feet. Um, the depth, the hunting depth, is between 5 feet and 45 feet for most fish. And um, there's a whole host of events. It's not just sort of um, competition. There's all sorts of random social stuff going on as well. If I do pop over, I'm hoping to, you know, interview a whole host of legends while I'm over there. So we'll see how we go with that. But uh, at this at this stage, it's I'm 50-50. Um, 99 Tips to Get Better at Spearfishing has got a couple new reviews. Uh, one guy says, actionable. A fantastic book full of useful and actionable information. A must for Spiros. JH says five stars. Love listening to them and really helpful. Thanks, guys. Uh, got a couple of crappy reviews on there too, but I can't be bothered reading them out. Um, but the 2020 Australian Blue Water Fruit Divers Classic, it's on March 20th. It's in Woolgoolga in New South Wales, hosted by the Coffs Harbour Blue Water Free Divers. And uh, I would encourage you to head along to that. They've got Luke Potts is going to show up as well. There's going to be heaps of stuff happening there. He's going to video cover the whole event, and it looks like a fantastic event. I'd encourage you to find out more. There's a Facebook group. Uh, there's a Facebook event called Australian Blue Water Freedivers Classic 2020, March 20. Pencil that into your calendars. That looks awesome. whole bunch of uh, great people. And comps are a real fantastic way to speed up your spearfishing uh, very quickly because you're just surrounded by a whole bunch of uh, people and the nature of the event forces you to be very strategic and think carefully about how and what you're going to do for the day and that determines your success and it's a really fantastic learning ground. A um, couple of podcast reviews. Eric Santa Cruz from US says, Shrek and Turbo, excellent podcast guys, I've learned a lot in 100 episodes. The wealth of knowledge shared from across the globe has definitely increased my awareness of the lifestyle and made me a better spearfisher. 
fishermen. Listening to the experiences of so many great divers is the reason I joined the club. It's great to have that on my commute every day. One area I'd like to hear more about is how the guys who make custom wood guns come to decide on shape, design, wood, length, etc. given their target species and ocean conditions. The entire process from idea to food on the table. Uh, just a thought and a request. So looking forward to the next 100 episodes, he says. Thanks for that, Eric. It's a top review and great to hear some ideas. Uh, I might have a man for you just around the corner, actually. Uh, Shah Bloosh from Aussie says... I've recently been planning on getting into spearfishing more. I've done it a few times in the Maldives when I lived there and since moving to WA, the thoughts of sharks has always kept me in two minds. I'm always in the water either swimming or surfing, but being in the water spearfishing seems so different to me. I have so much respect for sharks and since I've been listening to your podcast, I've been able to grow my confidence so much more just by listening to all the valuable information that you guys, along with your guests, provide. Past past that I've been able to grow my knowledge of spearfishing that much more just by listening to you guys. Absolutely great if I could give it if, you, if I could give you guys a 10 out of 10, I would give you a 20 out of 10. Anyway, uh, th thanks for that. It's a cool review. Um, there's, def there's a whole episode on sharks and um, sort of learning about how to spearfish with sharks. I'd encourage you to head back into the new Spiro directory and find that episode. But uh, a couple more reviews. Practical advice for a Spiro despite location. Oh, this is a review for 99 tips to get better at spearfishing. The audio book available on Audible. If you come to today's show notes, uh, newspiro.com forward slash Philip, there'll be a link in there to Audible. You can get our book for free. So anyway, he says, I really enjoyed listening to this as a Spiro for about a year now. Most of this information I already knew or had been applying in my life. Yet, I find when I dive, I think of things that I have heard to keep me relaxed. Now, after listening to this three times already, already I can review this information in my head while diving. So that was pretty cool. Fernando Caviar says, uh, good, good advice here. He says, I'm not a rookie and neither am I an expert. More kind of an intermediate Spiro. This book gave me some good advice that I find useful for my area in Cancun, Mexico. Definitely recommend this book. Sean Lucas, he wrote into the noobspirit.com. He says, hey, Shrek, huge fan of you and Turbo. Just listened to your latest episode on diving alone. Wondering, have you heard of the free dive recovery vest? And just quickly, Sean, yes, I have. Uh, the Terry Mars free dive recovery vest is something that's intrigued me for a long time. And... Um, Terry and I have chatted back and forth a few times about getting him on the show and we just haven't been able to organise the times but uh, if you know him definitely encourage him, I, I, want him, I definitely want to get him on the show but um, he says, Sean says, it's a smart vest for free divers that saves you in the event of a shallow water blackout, you program it to your max time you want to be down for and it inflates if you exceed that as well as your max depth. The coolest part though because most of shallow water blackout occurs on the surface, it has to be deactivated after 15 seconds of surface time otherwise it inflates as well just wondering if you've heard about it and what do you think only reason i haven't bought it yet is the price uh which is excessive it's about 1800 dollars australian shipping here so you definitely heard about it i want to get terry on the show to talk about the free dive recovery vest but if you do dive alone it's definitely uh, an investment uh, 1800 is expensive but if you weigh that up against the cost of your life perhaps you know it's something you want to consider seriously uh, 10 out of 10 spearfishing podcast this is another review from anonymous i have been diving for around 13 to 14 years and this podcast is 
and its fantastic guests have done wonders for my spearing and teaching me new things and also helping me to correct bad habits I have made over the years. I've only recently finished off every episode to date. I picked up their hardcover book as well to show my support and hope the show can continue into the future. I highly recommend people read that as it's a good summary of all the podcasts into one awesome little book which is paired with some fantastic photos. The jokes never get old and always get me laughing while I listen at the office. I actually listen to the Noob Spiro podcast on Google Podcasts so I came here especially to leave this feedback. So that's why I dug up that review. Anyway, guys, there's a couple more reviews, but I'll put them in the next episode. Just wanted to shout out to Ed Martin at killshotspearguns.com. He uh, has been a, a patron for a while now and uh, makes these fantastic custom spear guns. And because I just had that uh, request to do a bit more on wooden spear guns and, and Ted, Ed kind of specializes in that, I think that's what I'm going to I'm gonna get him on the show just to have a bit of a chat about it. So killshotspearguns.com. Cheers, Ed. And uh, without, that, without further ado, let's hook in to today's interview with Philip Van Sale. Today's Dynamite Noob Spiro podcast is brought to you by spearfishing.com.au. That's right, the fine folks over at Adreno have been supporting the Noob Spiro podcast since about episode 18, and they help pay the bills around here. Just want to encourage you to check out spearfishing.com.au and use the code Noob Spiro. You can save 20 bucks on every purchase over 200, but it's just a great online shopping experience. The reviews are phenomenal. If you want to check out a new spear gun, new pair of booties, new pair of gloves someone's used them before they've written a review it's on their website it's all there right for there for you head along spearfishing.com.au and thank you for shopping with it today's major sponsor adrena so welcome to the new sparrow podcast philip van sale i'm in omaru near my parents uh, town where they own a motel you we managed to connect over Facebook we've been connected on Facebook for quite a while and little did I know but we I've actually interviewed one of your nephews so uh, it's really good to connect with you Philip yes um, this is a lovely little town the um, downside of it is it is absolutely most of the time very very dirty so we've had to learn to completely adjust diving um, I mean just looking out my house is up on the hill so I can see the sea um, it's absolutely dirty I was going to take Isaac out for a dive this afternoon <laughs> but um, we decided against that um, I've been here in Oamaru for nine years um, I grew up in Cape Town um, and I started diving in 1968 when I was 16. <laughs> my, um, one of my schoolmates wanted to know if I would mind coming diving with him. And I was always interested. And I would have been just turned 16. So we went out and it immediately just appealed to me. I can't remember if we actually got any fish that first time oh, we actually got some feed most of the the time but uh, we um, didn't have any any wetsuits or um, uh, just very basic gear I can't even remember what little um, uh, spear gun I had um, but uh, it still brought the bacon home um, <laughs> But uh, soon after that, uh, yeah, our um, 
uh, gear was basically rugby jerseys and short pants, <laughs> rag rugby pants. And well, in Cape Town, you had two uh, currents. One was the Atlantic, which was the cold one. And we did most of that diving on the other side, uh, the uh, Indian Ocean. Um, but Cape Town was a wonderful city for uh, spearfishing. You could get on a train. We were on the train line that nestled along the coast. So basically what you did was just sit in the train, uh, uh, paid for a ticket to um, the end of the line. It was called Simonstown. It was a, a big naval base there. And then uh, check the sea. And if it looks good in the little bay, you would just get off the next station and walk back with your gear and um, uh, go for your dive, bring your stuff back in plastic bags and um, get out at your um, station and um, uh, that was it. So you didn't need transport, so a, a schoolboy without any uh, uh, transport could do the sport. Later on, I got a little um, motor or a little 50cc Honda and I later after that I got a, a little um, Lombretta scooter 1964 model and so we could actually get out f um, to the end of the peninsula um, and it was quite a walk a climb down and a climb back, but that was an amazing diving spot. Mm. You could get um, yellowtail, which we called um, kingfish, um, mussel cracker, um, basically a really good feed. There was lots of crayfish there. There were lots of um, paralamun, which we called equivalent of power here in New Zealand. Yeah, so we all always came back with a good feed um, when we got there, but it was just a hell of a climb. What down was the word again? It, it was called Red Rocks on um, the uh, Cape Peninsula, right at, at the end. And power, what were Abalone called? Perlamun. Perlamun. Yeah. Okay. It's uh, the Aussie. It looks a lot like the Aussie um, uh, abalone. But I had a very interesting experience there. We were diving and we just heard this engine, like massive, and we both popped up and trying to see where this boat is, we couldn't see anything. And we sort of got used to it. We could hear the diesel engines uh, throbbing. And as we were climbing back, uh, we looked back and up popped a submarine. What? <laughs> um, and South Africa at that point only had three submarines. So I mean, uh, what a coincidence. Um, then later on, I finished school. I went to university. I went to the University of Stellenbosch. I didn't do any diving with the club. They didn't dive on Sundays because you were supposed to go to church on, on Sundays. So I did most of my diving just with a couple of mates and a lot of that was done on the Indian, uh, sorry, uh, yeah, the Indian side um, warmer. Um, it was a place called Cape Hunklip and that um, 
It was, it was relatively deep. In the old days, 45 feet, so about 15 meters. But once you got there, uh, you could get your quota of crayfish. And at that point, it was five. You were allowed five a day. But later on, it was eight a day. Mm. And um, there were heaps of fish there too, uh, the whole... Um, uh, uh, cob? Um, yes, cob, definitely. We, we did shoot cob, cob there. Um, we once hit a whole school of small ones, and they were like really nice, nice tasting. And at, at university, one of my holidays, uh, I always had to work every university holiday so that sort of put a bit of the off of breaks on the, the diving because I worked seven days a week basically I mean that was where you earned your your money but one holiday I had a friend whose dad had a quota for uh, battle of moon power abalone <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and he had a, a, a little dinghy that we used to row out and so when it was low tide we dived um, uh, crayfish, which we sold to the local uh, hotel, uh, for exchanged for uh, <laughs> uh, camping for free on the on the grounds. But he uh. did he did supplement the accommodation with some dollars, and um, uh, he had um, a pump. So we we did pump diving. Um, I did most of the diving because I was a bit fitter than my, my mate and um, he obviously uh, was on the, on the boat making sure that pump is working. Um, and we also had a set net that we just set in the, in the harbour. Mm. So high tide we fished, um, low tide we, we um, dived. It was pretty full on. Um, we, I got really fit, and um, I made enough money uh, out of that five weeks of diving to basically keep me at university for a, for a year. Wow! Our stroke of luck was we hit a whole school, probably the same school we saw the previous day spearfishing of cob, cabalio, uh, we used to call it in South Africa, mm -hmm. and um, we filled that dinghy up that it had about like three inches of um, play between the, the top the and, water. and the water line. <laughs> and we, we found a local fishmonger and that was the right size, um, best tasting size. So we, I can't remember how much we got, but that was basically about probably 40 or 50% of what we earned that, that whole holiday we got out of that, that consignment. Wow. Um, University, I put myself through university, so Sundays I would go diving most, most Sundays. Um, Saturdays I worked and um, then after um, university I um, trained as a teacher librarian, um, so I was, I was teaching and I had a bit more time over weekend, so I did a fair bit of diving. And we, um, after working for five years in the white school system, I got quite disillusioned and I ended up resigning and retrained 
and took up a job in the middle of the country, uh, which was quite a distance from any coast. Uh, but I still managed to get out, I would say, once every m m two months or so we went to the, to the, to the coast. Um, and I, that was mostly um, the, the East Coast, Durban and I did lots of diving there. Also did lots of tramping. One very memorable tramp I, I did. Um, I actually then moved back to, to the, the coast, which was Durban, and I lived there for 11 years. And I had one, actually a couple of very memorable tramps where I did a um, one was a five-day, and the other one was an, a seven-day tramp uh, on the coast. It was called the Wild Coast, where the Orza lived, uh, the Transkai. It was mm. one of those um, homelands. And we did carry food, but I managed to get enough. We were about nine, I think, in our party, and I managed to dive enough seafood uh, to... Um, brought most of our food back back home <laughs> um, uh, like I had to wait for about uh, three quarters of a day while the transport was sorted and two of us started diving but the other person got too cold so I carried on and we had at least three crayfish for every every person um, so I think had something like it was over 30 crayfish so we had dinner we had breakfast and we had lunch uh, <laughs> of, of, of the craze and so that was that was pretty amazing um, in Natal uh, it was more tropical there I got myself a larger gun and uh, a float looking back at the equipment that we used those um, years uh, I mean you just can't compare it it was all um, closed cell suits um, but I had a suit that I bought secondhand that I probably had for about 20 years I still had it in New Zealand um, but uh, a story my first ever uh, wetsuit uh, no no dry suit my, uh, was a dry suit from the 1950s and you climb through the chest <laughs> and there was like a bungee that you wrapped around the, the um, chest hole it, and uh, we went in, my mate and I went in and it started leaking, it doesn't matter what you did, it always leaked and so I was completely waterlogged and I just about couldn't get out of the uh, on the rocks. My mate um, said, let me give you a hand. And he put his hand out, but he had his gun at 45 degrees uh, pointing, back at him. pointing back at me. And loaded? Lo uh, no, it wasn't loaded. But, but, a wave came and whacked me forward and I just saw this gun, I can still, it was like a nightmare, I, can, I just saw this gun coming straight for my face and I pushed my head to one side and it got me in the neck and I just saw the blood and I just thought, <laughs> oh hell, this is it. And I tried to pull it out and it was stuck. But after we sort of calmed down, 
and realized that it was just surface blood and it wasn't stuck in my neck, it was stuck in the wetsuit. Uh, we felt a bit better and um, I just immediately I got my diving knife out and cut that suit to bits and chucked it in the first garbage <laughs> that I could find. Mm. Um, where, where did you get your equipment from? Uh, mostly second-hand shops. Mm. Um, I didn't buy anything new. When I started working, I bought a few new things, including my catch bag, which I still have. Mm. Bought that in 1975. It has been panel beaded a few times, including our local uh, saddlery uh, maker. Mm. Completely rejuvenated it. It's probably good for another 35 years. How old's Rob Allen? Um, he would be way older than me. Um, I would say I'm 68. He would be in his 70s. Yeah, right. Yeah, he's still going. Did you, did you know him? Did you meet any? Did you see any of his early gear? Like no. No, I didn't, but I have met him. I actually bought my 120 that I've got off him. Mm. And um, uh, also a great person. He was really helpful with ad advice. And, um, and you could see it's, um, you know, he didn't, he could walk the walk. Mm. Yep. Um, the Rabbitech was another brand that come out of there, yeah? And you've also got um, Freedivers. Were any of those brands around or was Rob Allen the first? No, Rob Allen, as far as I know, was the first one that sort of, uh, mm -hmm. but it was very expensive uh, for um, South Africa. Mm -hmm. I mean, now, of course, when you come with Kiwi dollars, it was such a bargain. <laughs> um, and uh, my first gun that I that I used, I bought it secondhand, was, uh, a ballet champion, mm. a French gun, and I've actually still got it. Wow, <laughs> I'd love to see it. Yeah, um, I have, I've actually cut it down to uh, 750, mm. because that's something that we had to do here. I now use as my normal gun, I use a 900 Rob Allen that my sister brought over uh, when I turned 60. And uh, it's a really nice little gun. It's accurate. It's a um, rail gun. Um, I was going to buy a 750 rail of Rob, and he said to me, his advice is just go for a normal open muzzle. Said a rail wouldn't do a big diff make a big difference to a 750, which I did. But I never liked that little 750. It shot all over the place. So, mm -hmm. um, so I ended up uh, selling it. It could have been a bent spear, you know, in hindsight. Um, one of the things we're talking about before is that you recommend like young guys rig their own guns. I mean, back when you started, you had to rig all your own gear. What what was some of the stuff you learned early on? And there wasn't YouTube, so um, it it was Lynn 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 Brown. Is it Lynn? Lynn Jones. Lynn Jones uh, read his uh, bits and pieces. Um, he um, um, and just. Basically, do what I'm doing now. Share it with with youngsters. Lots of people helped me over the over the years, and um, it is um, there's a Maori fakatoki, a Maori saying that says, "He arwa fakato, he arwa putamai," which means if you give out kindness, mm -hmm. it comes back to you. And um, so, uh, a lot of people. Some of my diving mates are not keen um, when I take youngsters out to our 
so-called spots. Um, I don't. I have some some spots that I don't share, like my power spots. Um, but fish move, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I'd much rather have um, more people in the in the sport and um, mm-hmm. um, share my experiences and. Um, I often help people with setting up their their first guns, because uh, down here you don't need uh, a tropical gun. You uh, anything between a 500, uh, a 750 is all you need here. Mm. Even 900 is is sometimes when you mm. hunt in sick kelp as a hassle. Mm. I love your ideas about reciprocity and uh, and the community. This the. The, the spearfishing mafia you called it the other day because um, it was very easy to make a connection with you and I, I, I share a lot of those same feelings like I think um, if you teach young young guys how to spearfish you, you also get to teach them a lot about the conservation and the ethics side of spearfishing as well and if you don't teach them then someone else's and it might not necessarily be the right way so um, I'm looking forward to digging a bit more into that a little bit further into the interview with our veterans vault section but um, um, so you've talked a little bit about gear specific for down here, somewhere between a 500 and an 800 mil gun. Um, what else are you using down here? Uh, I'd imagine a five mil wetsuit. I have a five mil in summer, and in winter initially I only had a, um, a seven mil top, and with a five mil bottom was was fine. But then a mate of mine um, gave me a second hand. Well, it was pretty new. Um, from Wellington gave me a second hand 7 mil and uh, so in, in winter I, I use uh, a full 7 mil and in summer um, the 5 mil. Um, the problem, I, I, I've got one problem, I need a lot of weight to get myself buoyant uh, mm. over the last um, 4 meters uh, so in winter I need to put 14 kilos of lead on in summer, twelve. So it's a, and even that that two kilos in the five mil suit gives you a lot more flexibility uh, to get into tight shops spots, especially if you do um, if you go for uh, power or um, uh, craze. And uh, I've also started wearing a harness mm. because of the weight that I'm I'm carrying. Mm. The harness makes a big. Um, difference uh, on my lower back but I initially had all my weight on the in the harness and then a mate of mine uh, uh, observed when I was finning that my fins were breaking the surface Mm. so now I wear uh, a belt a rubber belt Uh, I've used other material but uh, I wouldn't recommend anything but uh, a rubber um, a stiff rubber. Uh, you get rubber uh, belts that are cheaper, but they are um, too flexible. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the Rob Allen or Free Divers, um, the Wetty one I've also used. Um, Wetty is a local New Zealand supplier. Um, Ocean Hunter also makes a really good uh, harness. Um, and I, yeah, I actually have the Ocean Hunter harness, and I've had it for nine years. It's still going strong. So do you do you wear weight on your legs? Keep your legs down? No, okay. no, I've never thought of that. The other point that is something I've only um, learned r- relatively recently is p- 
put all your weights on your back and not on the front because if anything happens you will you will um, drift if you are properly buoyant you will drift face up mm. uh, whereas if you have it on your stomach it will put your face under underwater all right well, well I'd like to take you back a little bit once again and find out maybe about a memorable fish experience um I don't know if you can remember the day and the species and everything about it, but give us a story. My most memorable fish experience would be my last dive I had in Tauranga. A mate of mine said, I'll go and show you my, my spot. Uh, and he, we went out with his boat, myself, himself and his father-in-law, and we got to a pin, 15 to 20 meter visibility, it was just absolutely perfect there was a bit of swell coming up but not too not too bad and um, I uh, I got a good um, probably about a 13 kilo kingfish uh, and so I thought well I was on my way back to the south and at that point you didn't get any kingfish here although uh, they are now being seen on our reefs here Mm. Uh, this last summer, a um, mate of mine saw one. He couldn't get a, sh a shot in, but uh, uh, then it w the other guys didn't see any um, any fish. So I did a deep dive um, because we. I thought I saw shadows like really deep, and uh, and then they disappeared, and I knew it was a school, and I dived down really slowly. Um, and I mean, that's also advice that I give to youngsters, and I do it naturally, is do your duck dive, and you just fin really slowly, and once you are past the gravitation point, like three, four meters, I've, I've set my weight uh, belt, uh, you just glide and don't use any, any energy. And as I went down, I could see the shadows, and I was just hoping that it is actually King. kingfish <laughs> and they came closer and then I had a 30 meter uh, line on me so I would have been about 25 meters at, at that point and I just uh, I obviously had to stop and I slowly started thinning up and I could see them following me and they followed me right up and um, my two mates both got, got got a fish in. At that point I was getting quite nauseous and I went back to the boat and I looked back and I saw probably the size of about two rugby fields or even larger. I just saw this boil and I immediately put my, my, my um, mask and my fins back and I hopped in and the, the boil-up was a school of kahawai um, it's also quite a prolific fish here uh, which is the favorite target uh, eating target for for kingfish and I went down sort of under the school and it's just difficult to describe it there was the school of kingfish I ended up shooting one and that was weighed probably 
difficult to say. Uh, it had a two and a half kilo cowway in it. When I took that out and um, gutted it, it was still 21 or 23 kilos <laughs> left. So I would have said if I'd weighed it with gills and um, blood and everything in it, it would have been like 27 kilo. It was a monster. It wasn't very, but it was a deep one. Mm. So that would have been one of my most memorable uh, fish that I shot. Hey, the other one was possibly a kingfish also. We went diving also with a boat, but another mate of mine behind uh, Mortiti Island, that's off Tauranga. And my wife uh, at that point, she's from the South Island in New Zealand. She only liked blue cod, but she did <laughs> eat red moki. So I always used to shoot her one or two red moki and um, New Zealand that's not quite cricket because they're very <laughs> stupid and nobody admits that we've ever shot a red moki, did I say blue or red? red. But I think we, we all have. But anyhow, I just saw it and then I saw the shadow in the, out of the corner of my eye and I was given another little gun by um, a neighbor who had, he hadn't died for 40 years, and he said, oh, but I still have my little gun and you can have it if you want, and it was a little 90. Um, and it was also a, a champion. So I just thought I'll go and test, because I just re-rigged it, I'll go and test it on this um, red Moki. <laughs> and next minute, this 13 kilo kingfish came past because mm. we were gutting the the fish and I just thought I can't shoot it I didn't have a shooting line or a float or anything and yeah. I was going to lose the gun <laughs> the first dive but I also felt I couldn't not <laughs> so I squeezed it and it wasn't a good shot it was a stomach shot <laughs> But instead of uh, what you would normally do is let go of your gun and go and get some fresh air, I got a turbo boost from somewhere and I just swam right onto it, bare hugged it, grabbed it between my legs and did a very strange uh, movement to get back to the surface. And uh, it did come alive, but I had my knife. The other thing I do um, in particular with um, kingfish hunting, I carry my knife on my arm because if you are hugging it, it is a lot closer than to try and find it on your leg or on your, on your belt, but that's just my preference. So I had it on my left arm and I could icky it immediately. And um, uh, I said to the, my mate who was cleaning the fish, I said, hey, I got a kingy. And he said, yeah, yeah right, with that little pop gun. And I hauled the kingfish out. He immediately wanted to um, hop in. And I said, no, it was just a loner. Um, yeah, so I suppose I've had two memorable fish, and they were both kings. You know, I always like to ask people um, what their favorite species is to hunt and why. I mean, you've, you've, you've brought up two yellowtail kingfish there. Um, are there any techniques that you want to talk about or identify with the way you hunt those fish in particular, or you can choose another species up to you? I have shot some snapper. Snapper is a really challenging fish. 
I think both in Aussie and and in New Zealand, you um, you're either burly or you have to be really stealthy. Um, I haven't really been that successful with snapper. I mean, I've um, shot a few. My largest would have been uh, three, four kilos. So I haven't shot any of the big monsters that you get up uh, off Great Barrier and uh, uh, off Auckland or even off. Um, of the Tauranga Islands, but with kingfish, main thing is slow movements, calmness, don't look at them, um, look past them, and wait for them to um, to get within uh, target range. I also um, keep my gun next to my body, really close, upside down. Uh, I hold it with um, handle facing up so that when you are ready it's just one movement so you bring it up uh, i bring it up in one motion yeah like in in one one motion i have disabled all my safeties and there are two schools of thought uh, i think we all have a, a story of the big one that got away mine was a massive trevelli in tauranga and it was like two meters in front of me and I had it perfectly lined up, pressed the trigger, and it wouldn't work. And by the time I had the safety off, <laughs> it was gone. So that was the one that, that got away. And it would probably have been, I would say, at least a five, six, it would have been more than five kilo mm. fish that, that uh, presented itself perfectly for me. So uh, uh, I think some days, like you go out, you're lucky if you squeeze the trigger four or five times, you know, on a day. That's, typical, that's maybe pretty typical for me anyway. And um, if one of those, you know, is your safety on and you bugger up that fish, that's 20% of your shots for the day gone. And, yeah. oh, they're a heartbreaker, those ones. So I completely get the uh, sawing your safety off or disabling it. I only put my finger in the trigger when I want to pull it. So that's my safety. Um, I mean, uh, we've all had guns go off at certain points um, without intending it to. But um, to me, uh, there's basic basic safety. Um, never put a uh, common sense, but I'll repeat no, no. it. Uh, um, never put a gun on uh, uh, on a boat loaded. Um, I always try and get the, the spear out of a fish. Um, when I hand it in up to the the boat person, mm. so it, it it's all common sense. Having said that, uh, my mate and I, uh, um, local mate, he's on two occasions. Uh, the next time we go diving, he said, "Look at my rubbers. It forgotten to unload it and left it like for a week or two weeks. Load it." And the the rubbers actually memorizes that. <laughs> I think it's happened to everyone. So um, no. All right. So some good um, tips and ideas there about guns and shooting kingfish. What about the toughest situation or a scary moment you've had out in the ocean? Um, you know what happened? What could have the, what were the consequences, or what could they have been? And maybe what did you learn from it? I um, I shot a moki, a blue. 
<laughs> blue monkey, <laughs> a real blue monkey, yeah. <laughs> and um, it got off the spear and it went into a crevice, and I followed it, and as I followed it, a surge came and pushed me right into the crevice, and I was stuck. Uh, it was the stuff nightmares are made of, and uh, I just told myself one thing, stay calm. And I mean, that is a pretty big ask. And because if a surge pushed you in, hopefully it will come out at some point. And uh, I waited and I was running out of air because I had already been chasing the Moki. And I just thought, I'll go for, for broke, and I expelled the air in my chest, and that was enough to actually dislodge me. And at that point, as I predicted, the, the surge actually pulled me out. But I tell you, um, I, was, I was pretty, pretty shaken. It was a code brown. Yep, very close, <laughs> very close. Um, so, uh, lesson is, uh, and we've all had that, chasing craze, especially big craze that go into crevices like that, be careful. Uh, one instance is there was a big crayfish a mate of mine um, located, and it went back into the crevice, and he was a bit thinner than I was, so he went in, and I literally held his legs and to be ready to pull him out. Uh, we got the crayfish. <laughs> I think that's the way to do it. Yeah. When I learned up in parts here, when we used to get a lot of um, craze on scuba there, because the reefs, well, most of the reef, good reef is in 20 plus metres and the water's filthy. A lot of current as well. So scuba is pretty common up there. And we got taught to cross our fins behind us. And that way your buddy would know if your fins are crossed that you're in trouble and you actually need to be pulled out. But I, I've been in there. <laughs> I had a couple of... Um, overly aggressive buddies and I was in a hole one day getting craze and he must have thought I was stuck because I was struggling trying to get this cray but he started grab my feet and I'm fighting him to stay in the hole and he's fighting to pull me out <laughs> and he's getting me backwards and forwards like what I was trying to do to the crayfish and my head was smashing into the roof of this cave and I got out I was not impressed with him but um but I think communication with your buddy, having a buddy, and um, that, that, that's some good takeaways for that sort of stuff, for sure. Is your major issue spearfishing all about equalising? i got good news for you. We've been pumping Ted Hardy's Immersion Freediving Equalising classes for a while now for free on the No Spirit Podcast because we love it that much. It's effective. Now, his Roadmap to Friends will class is absolutely excellent. It's a full-on video course that will help you to master the technique of Frenzel because you're probably doing Valsalva. Now, Ted's sweetened it up a little bit more. He's got a 15% discount code. Go to noobspero.com forward slash Ted, get full access to the Roadmap to Frenzel equalizing class, and if you don't learn how to Frenzel within 30 days, 
he'll give you a full money back refund. Now, everyone wants to get beyond that 15 to 40 foot mark, that five to 10 meter mark, and you don't want to be going upright to have to equalize. So you need to learn the frenzel equalizing technique, and the best way to do that is spend a little bit of time doing Ted Hardy's course. Come to newsparrow.com forward slash Ted, get a 15% discount, enjoy. Now, I don't know about you, but I love new gear, and spearfishing.com.au have got a huge range. Mad flat shipping rate, especially in Australia, and if you use the code NoobSparrow, you not only support us, but you get $20 off every purchase over $200. That's right, pump in the code NoobSparrow at checkout, N-O-O-B-S-P-E-A-R-O, at spearfishing.com.au, and you will save 20 bucks on every purchase over $200. No-brainer. Thanks, Adreno. Let's, um, let's move into Veterans Vault. Let's chat about um, the spearfishing mafia, the, 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 the broad community and, and some of the, the, the reciprocity that you talk, touched on earlier. My wife, who's never met a sparrow before I met her, um, is just always amazed. I mean, I'll combine this with talking about traveling. Um, I travel a, a lot for my, my work, uh, conferences and uh, meetings, and uh, some of the conferences are in Australia. So whenever I have the opportunity, I take my gear with me. I try normally try not to take lead for obvious reasons, but uh, a suit at least and spear gun and. I, I use a large golf bag. It's probably a good 1.7 meters um, long and probably about 30 centimeters by 30 centimeters by 30 centimeters. Perfect. Perfect. And I bought it at a garage sale for 10 bucks or something. <laughs> and I tell you, it's just about falling to bits. And as we speak, I've got a mate that is taking it to somewhere, <laughs> uh, uh, no, actually just to the North Island. Um, and um, so that's part of the uh, community. Um, I mean, why go and, uh, he was going to, to buy a, a bag uh, and probably only use it once a year. Um, so, um, People are like that. When I got to, no, actually before I got to Melbourne, and when I went out there, I um, was contacted. I, I just put it out on our Sparrows Corner. We used to have a Sparrow. It's still running, but I think Facebook has sort of superseded it, really. And um, Kiwi that lived in um, Melbourne contacted me and said, no, I'll take you out. And... Um, and we had a really great uh, dive. We managed to get out to, it was a long, long swim, like an, an hour fin. <laughs> um, and, but we were going against the tide, so I thought, okay, coming back. But unfortunately, the tide changed, so we were still <laughs> against the... <laughs> so you worked both ways. Yeah, and it was about a three-hour if not more, dive, and the uh, sea had come up in the meantime, and it was pretty scary, and I got really terrible cramps, both legs, 
and we were making virtually no I was making virtually no headway and um, but strange what you remember something like that because there were three tiny little three centimeter fish uh, sort of guiding me in the front and uh, I just thought hmm that could have been my three dead brothers oh. escorting me out and it actually gave me a, a focus you oh, know wow. yeah and um, it got shallower later so I would hold on to a, a, a rock a bit of kelp and um, um, rest the, the cramping legs and we did see some kingies and um, I didn't want to shoot, they came right past my gun, but I didn't want to shoot them because I thought I'd give my, my host the opportunity, but he missed. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but we, um, um, we did get, get back. So it doesn't matter where you go, North Island, uh, here in, in New Zealand, anywhere in the world, literally, mm. if you stick something on a Facebook page, um, somebody will take you out. As I've done quite a few occasions, um, people have to travel through our little town, so um, I invite people, and my wife is used to strange people uh, arriving here in camper vans <laughs> and uh, 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 making use of our hospitality, because again, um, I've had that from a lot of, lot of people. Traveling tips, um, most obviously don't use the word G-U-N at an airport, uh, just say fishing equipment. What I do with that particular bag, that uh, 120 just fits in. You have to really force it in, but it fits in perfectly. The 130 actually uh, protruded, and then the spear obviously is longer, so that protrudes, but I just turn it around and put a big plug on the sharp end prevent the obvious and then just um, the notch side uh, sticking out. I have had some some debates uh, um, on, on airports but I've never had any, um, any real problem. Uh, only person that gets most stress would be my wife <laughs> because she's always convinced we're going to be locked up and then coming back I've recently bought a, a cooler bag uh, it's like a dry bag, but it's a cooler bag that um, takes up to 20 liters, and you can put a heap of kingfish fillets in mm. in there. Um, and uh, uh, tramping, I've done lots of tramping and uh, uh, carrying my, my stuff with me. Um, we did a tramp on um, uh, near Akaroa, and I didn't take a wetsuit, I just took my old 1970s rugby jersey, nylon rugby jersey. And that keeps you even the cold water here, you could stay in for about 20 minutes, half an hour max. And um, uh, water was too dirty, but we got a, a good feed of power, and uh, mm -hmm. fed the whole hut. I did the same on the Rakiura uh, uh, track at um, Stewart Island. Mm. Um, fed the whole hut for, for two nights um, and uh, that was pretty memorable too. Um, pretty tough hiking with your dive gear. Yes, I've got um, 
pack horse ocean hunter plat mm. and what I've done with that and this is something I can I, I can share I put little kayak wheels under it and with the theory that you and I tested it in soft sand it worked perfectly fine except that the Rakiwara track has got when I say hundreds I mean thousands of steps ah. <laughs> so my son and I ended up uh, carrying it with a long staff a, a really springy wood here called lance wood uh, and uh, Maori use it as, as, as spears um, and um, carried it for, for most of the so um, discretion was a better part of Bella when <laughs> I got back I got a water taxi <laughs> uh, and, uh, but my son ended up not going with me but I with that particular tramp I did um, carry my wetsuit mm. because it was semi-winter but it was a, an amazing dive. Uh, I just had a couple of thoughts, like traveling this time, um, I'd normally borrow a friend's sports tube, which is a little bit like um, the golf bag idea, but they're purpose made, but they're bloody expensive. Um, but I think if you, some of these higher ticket items, like a blue water spear gun, blue water floats, um, these elaborate travel cases, they're items that you definitely want to share with your good mates and because um, you only use them once or twice a year and um, if everyone gets use out of it, it's, it's much better done. Um, that is one of the beauties of being in the spearfishing mafia. I'd like to see some collapsible fins and some collapsible spear guns. I don't know why that hasn't come on the market. Um, I haven't seen them anyway. I've seen a collapsible wooden one. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Facebook somewhere um, where you literally uh, split it up in three sections like a mm -hmm. fishing rod um, it was obviously home made I think mm -hmm. um, so it is possible <laughs> I, I always like dropping the ideas and then not doing it myself <laughs> um, well, did you have any other pointers for um, making the most of the spearfishing community um, obviously like being a great host yourself and um, it all comes back around, doesn't it? An example that I uh, uh, shared with you earlier was um, Rob Allen, the man himself. But um, uh, when I um, had an opportunity to go to Samoa, I phoned, uh, I'd, I, and I'd never dive tropics, tropics. I mean, uh, Natal could be sort of semi-tropics. So I phoned him and just asked, him for some um, pointers and he Darren, Darren Shields yeah. from Wetis yeah. and he uh, said to asked me uh, what gun are you using I said the 120 and he said no <laughs> <laughs> nothing under a 130 because your trophy a most amazing fish you're going to miss it and um, so and he said if you don't want to spend that money I'll send you one of my guns and um, but fortunately i managed to get one on trade me for a good price so i um, i never used his uh, his offer but i mean that is just another uh, example and i've offered my 130 subsequently to other people i've got a tropical um, 35 liter rob allen uh, float which people have borrowed um, so exactly what you saying isaac um, um, you know, I think it's uh, there's a lot of wastage, 
and a lot of that is based on um, I've got to have it for in case I I mean I go to garage sales most Saturday mornings and it's just amazing what what stuff people get rid of uh, uh, after they've only used it once or or twice this is a bloody good example. I mean, I um, I come over here to have a family holiday because um, my parents own a motel here in Omaru and you've lent me a compressor and a couple of nail guns and maybe some dive gear tomorrow if we get out, but um, we'll see how the weather goes. But yeah, so you're, you're, you're a good example of it too. Hey Noobers, it's uh, Jeremy here from Spearing Magazine with an, uh, with an update for you guys. Shrek and Turbo have been doing such a great job with uh, telling guys about Spearing Magazine that we've actually sold out of most of our back issues and catalogs. But uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that uh, we have an international subscription available just for you guys. Yeah, from Spearing Magazine. I'm Jeremy Gamble. Thank you, guys. Go to SpearingMagazine.com. Check out the uh, international subscription. Aw, yeah. Today's Noob Spirit podcast is also proudly brought to you in partnership with PenetratorFins.com. Get on there, guys. Have a look at some of the designs I've got. They've got clears. The blacks are beautiful. Check out the Noob Spiro custom Oki print. It's mad as well. Larry's got a full range of wicker designs, and he's got beautiful finish on his fins. He's uh, recently updated his manufacturing process. It's even better than it was before. He makes some of the best fins in the world. And uh, to, to make that offer even sweeter, pump in the code Noob Spiro at checkout and save another 20 bucks. Penetratorfins.com. Support the Noob Spiro podcast by shopping with our sponsor. Look, let's move on. Um, we've talked a lot about your dive bag already, but um, is there anything else with equipment that you do a little bit differently than other people, or is there some recommendations you have around equipment? I like to use um, a catch bag. I know it puts some brakes on you. I normally don't use it when I go into competitions, but um, it saves you getting back to your um, plat. Uh, most people down south uh, use um, plats, um, either the Witty one or um, one of the other ones. There's the Harrison uh, and um, of course the, the old one that, that I've got. So a plat is a, uh, a float boat? A float boat, yeah. yeah. I think we, we call it plats here. Yeah. Um, because we, we have a lot of harassment here from um, um, seals to a lesser extent, but we got mass. We get massive hooker sea lions here, and um, we had an experience at the 19, uh, what was it, 2012 South Island Championships, where most of our fish got stripped off by a massive hooker sea sea lion that literally just went from float to float and there was no fish to um, weigh in except two people mm -hmm. uh, two teams one was myself and um, um, judy johnson and the other one was kevin Mullen and i can't remember his his mate um, they had a, um, a float boat and I took my um, our catch to the, to the car, so we ended up walking off with the two main trophies. <laughs> um, not because we were so good, but because we were so clever. Um, so um, 
I, I always carry two knives. I've never needed two knives, um, but I carry one on my um, uh, pouch, on my thigh, and the other one on my on my arm. I um, and a little trick to save the loss of knives is you can either make a little twirly whirly um, attachment by wrapping like a 200 pound line around a pencil tightly yeah. anchor it on the one side wrap it around tightly the whole of the pencil basically uh, a length that's at least i would say a meter and then cut it and attach the top but also like just drilling a little hole through the pencil or piece of dowel stick mm -hmm. and that it doesn't untwirl and then stick it in boiling water for like two or three minutes put it in cold water and then you'll have um, a spiral mono yeah so you attach one to your uh, sheet and one to the knife oh. so if you drop it you don't lose it Mm. So and then the mono tucks away nicely because yep. it will hold that memory. Yeah, it's not a, a, a big... The other option that I've been using instead of that uh, uh, is you get, at most good sh uh, shoe stores, you get um, uh, spiral shoelaces. Yeah. And they come in packets of two for like three or four dollars five dollars whatever mm. and that works just as well it's just the right length and um, you don't lose your your knife mm. um, and people spend a lot of money on knives you get little blue handled knives for free with most um, widgets these days there's nothing wrong with those little knives they've mm. got good good steel um, and they can um, icky a uh, kingfish so what more do you want one thing I like about your idea there is, um, you know, like you, when you're laying on the surface and you're burling a fish frame or whatever, if you're doing surface burly, you can just let it go and the, the, it'll, no. it'll stay attached to your sheath. I often do that. Yeah. I often do that. Um, and um, I have lost one with um, when the sheath came, came out of my uh, leg pocket, so um, that was a bit of a bummer and I lost one knife when I let it go and uh, the little homemade mono mm -hmm. uh, broke mm -hmm. and, and that was a bit dis disappointing but um, with knives I have a knife that's all that's both serrated and it's got a, a cutting knife and to import these has been has become a bit of a problem since we've had the massacre in Christchurch with mm. with knives. Um, so I haven't had the need, but I have seen on some Facebook uh, postings that people have been harassed and they've been um, confiscated. Mm. Yeah, bit crazy, isn't it? Every person's got a slasher and a chainsaw and a hose, and every farm implement you can use can be used to kill someone if you're imaginative enough. But I get it. Um, what about, uh, sort of a faster pace around the questions is Spiro Q&A. Um, question one, could you describe what the spearfishing experience means to you in one sentence? It's just my happy place. You can't explain to anybody that feeling when you do your duck dive and you just glide. <laughs> uh, that's why I do it. 
and the f and the food, of course. <laughs> free food. Um, someone actually said last time. I think the most expensive way to catch free food. <laughs> so that was good. What is the single best piece of advice you've ever been given for spearfishing? Don't ever do it. Uh, dive to your uh, capabilities, and as one gets older, uh, it's not a pissing competition, uh, and that is the, one of the dangers of of um, competitions is people overdo it. It it is to me, it's about having fun, being in my happy place, where I how I recharge my batteries. Uh, but don't overdo it. Cool. Um, who has been the most influential person uh, or people in your spearfishing? Probably Len. <laughs> um, it was, and Jacques Cousteau. I read all his books when I was uh, a teenager growing Hans up. Hans Haas as well? Hans Haas to, uh, to an extent, yeah. yeah. But um, yeah. You, you spend a lot of time in libraries, so I was curious as to um, your spearfishing freediving library. Um, have you come across some books that have really influenced you in particular? I can't remember who it was, but it was a book from the 50s. A mate of mine bought it second, second hand. He's our local archivist. And he um, uh, said, that's ah, a really good book. I said, have you read it? He said, no, 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 but uh, you can have, uh, have it um, read it first. And I read it and I got to a pay, about page 25 and here was a picture of him with a dolphin that he's killed. Oh, right. <laughs> and I actually couldn't carry on reading it. Wow. <laughs> but I suppose it was a different um, era then. Mm. Um, of course, I have to be careful in my library not to buy too many uh, uh, spearfishing books. Um, but we've sort of got a few um, basic ones. I can't even recall. 99 tips to get better at spearfishing, probably. Yep, no, that's definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a new spear book, so you've got to have that on the shelf. A um, couple more questions and then, and then we're out of here. Um, if you had to start all over again, what would you do differently? Probably getting a decent wetsuit a lot earlier. It just makes such a difference. Mm. And I have a strange, my mother was Jewish, so I really battle to get a mask that fits me. And I finally found a mask that that fitted me, so I just bought two because it was on a special for like eighteen or nineteen dollars. <laughs> I normally have to buy the hundred and thirty-five dollar one. Mm, um, but um, the equipment, um, I even had some some pneumatic guns. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't like them, um, and fortunately they were all stolen when I um, out of my dad's garage. So um, I did get. A, pay out for that and I bought myself a, a decent spear gun um, that was when I bought the uh, arbalete if you're not warm it is not fun mm. um, and your fins I've got a set of self-adjusting I think they Omer no. uh, foot pockets and they fit my feet perfectly and because so I've got one uh, high instep, so that m makes it really difficult to um, get uh, foot pockets that, that fit properly. 
and I have uh, carbon uh, free diver fins, mm. and that's made a big, big difference. We didn't have a choice in the 60s. I mean, there just wasn't any equipment. You just had to get uh, old scuba gear and. Um, it's, bloody, it's a bloody good era to go spearfishing in. Yeah. Um, do you have much sympathy for young guys when they <laughs> when they email them with their problems with equipment or? Well, no, I mean the one thing I um, tell people when they buy equipment is uh, buy decent stuff. Don't look at the brand and look at the fit of the the suit. It's got to fit you, mm. and um, uh, obviously not too big. Um, because then it um, is not effective. And as an old school diver said to me um, once, uh, well, Philip, you know it's not, uh, the camo is, is not for the fish, it's for the diver. So um, I, I buy suits, uh, like even um, different top with a different bottom colors, um, I don't care. Uh, if it's a, at the end of a, a line where they have some um, um, remnants, I just mm. go for it. You don't need to spend a lot of money. Um, we don't dive as deep here as on the North Island, so suits last a lot longer, they don't compress. Mm. Who's the best person to go spearfishing with now? I've got a little band of brothers here. Um, every now and then I get a WhatsApp message from um, one of them and I say to my wife, it's my Portuguese adopted son calling. Um, he arrived here from um, Portugal, also works for council, and he said, um, uh, induction, he said, does anybody do spearfishing here? And a whole choir of people went up um, Philip. <laughs> so um, I do a lot of diving with him. Uh, there's also a South African boy that's that's come over from uh, Natal. He lives here, and um, I heard him um, inquiring about spearfishing equipment uh, in Afrikaans. Uh, he was speaking Afrikaans to his wife, and I called him to one side and I said, "Listen, um, don't buy spearfishing equipment in a dive shop." So that's advice I want to give somebody uh, and uh, hey uh, having said that you get dive scuba shops that that are excellent that do both uh, sports but this other mate of mine in um, he was an american in tauranga he got the most terrible advice uh, and um, so go to a specialist shop and uh, go and talk to people that are in the sport and not into scuba. Um, the dive um, Otago people in Dunedin, they are excellent. A lot of them also do um, uh, spearfishing. Um, and also underwater hockey uh, is an excellent uh, fitness. I've been playing it for years. Obviously, uh, there isn't a, a pool here, but I am going back to Dunedin the end of this year. So that's something I'm looking forward to. And in both of the clubs where I played here in Dunedin and in Rotorua, most of the guys there also do spearfishing. And most of us have spare suits, uh, spare fins, uh, equipment. 
guns. So uh, go and try it out first. Go with people that um, will teach you. Mm, awesome. All right. Where can um, people maybe come and connect with you if they want to, Philip? I'm on Facebook as Philip with one L, V-A-N, new word, Z-I-J-L, senior, because I've got a son also called Philip. Um, and uh, just um, message me and um, I'll uh, gladly um, have a chat or um, have a dive. <laughs> awesome, man. I've um, got a ton, of, a ton of awesome stories out here today and a few really interesting tips too. The, the knife one was quite memorable. Um, any parting guidance or wisdom for the community? Um, need to set the example. A uh, lot of people have a different perspective of um, spearers. 90% of us target. Um, we don't fill our bins or float boats up with death piles. Um, and it's interesting that our New Zealand uh, Spiro um, Facebook page, they actually don't publish death piles. Um, set the example um, and with taking respect size. I mean, what I always do is if I have a doubt, I don't shoot. Um, if it's if it's if it's uh, marginal, uh, don't don't bother. That's my adage too. Awesome catching up with you, Philip. And um, so people find sale. Uh, Philip Van Sale. Um, there'll be linked up everything we chatted about today in today's show notes. So um, yeah, awesome to um, chat with you, man. What a bloody legend. Philip Van Sale, absolute champion. If you go to today's show notes, I'm going to make it easy for you. Noobspero.com forward slash Philip with one L. I'm going to have everything linked up, including his Facebook profile. And uh, I hope it came through, that reciprocity principle came through loud and clear today. Philip's uh, an absolute champion. I, I was over in Omaru just to visit my parents for a bit of a, a getaway over Christmas. So I, I, I didn't actually manage to get out for a dive with them just due to weather and conditions and that. And uh, I was actually keen though after having a look at a few of the spots. The water was only 14 degrees, but nevertheless, I've saved something for next time. So um, yeah, shout out to Philip on Facebook if you would like to connect with him. But he's down there in Omaru, the South Island of New Zealand, and uh, there's some bloody interesting spearfishing down there. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you would like to support the show further, go to patreon.com forward slash noobspero. Become one of our patron listeners. So that's it for me today, guys. Thanks for listening. Over and out. Adreno Spearfishing are today's proud sponsor of the Noob Spiro podcast. They stock a huge range of equipment that you can find in Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne and now Perth. That's right, spearfishing.com.au have got a huge range of gear. I encourage you to get along, use the code Noob Spiro, N-O-O-B-S-P-E-A-R-O and save yourself $20 on every purchase over $200 when you shop online.